Welcome back to another edition of James Reed's Forge. So glad you could join us as we continue in our study in the book of James. We're in James chapter 1. We're going to jump right in and pick it up at verse 13. And I want to pose this question to you as we begin our discussion. And that question is this. What does James tell us about the battle with temptation? Well, I'm going to answer that. Uh, To start with, he tells us that temptation does not come from God. And that is in verse 13. I'm just going to go ahead and read that. And starting at verse 13, he says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. <clears throat> so James is, uh, gives us a step-by-step process of how sin happens and its end result. And you will remember, I gave you a little bit of an introduction on this in the last podcast, a little bit of uh, preview, so to speak. And um, But the idea of a trap set um, for an animal or a lure used to catch a fish, I think is a, is a very good and an accurate uh, word picture. James reminds us that it's our own inner desire for something evil, uh, which will drive us to evil actions. And eventually, as I pointed out in the uh, preview, that eventually it's going to lead to death. So the sinner is drawn out and enticed, and uh, he builds and he baits his own trap so to speak. And uh, we'll take a look at this a little later, but just to kind of give you a a preview of where we're going, if you look at James chapter 1, verse 17 through 21, um, you basically have there a battle plan. Um, Stay close to the Father, stay close to His Word, and eliminate evil from our lives. And uh, there's also... Uh, special attention here in verse 19 that's given uh, to behavior which can either hinder or help a relationship with God. And again, it's not that God has moved anywhere or that he changed, but it's so oftentimes it's what we want. It's our own foolish, selfish desires, and that's what gets us into trouble. So, um, To kind of backtrack just a little bit, point number one here in our study is testing of the faith or a test of faith for you. And we talked about the purpose of testing. Now we're going to move on to another sub point, and that is that the invitation to evil is not from God, not from God. So, um... As the scripture says here, God is not tempted uh, in that way himself, like we are often tempted, um, and nor does he uh, tempt man. He's not the source of it. So why would a God who desires a relationship with you, dear Christian, um, to the point that he gave his only begotten son for his people, why would he then turn around and tempt you? to turn 
away from that gift of life. It doesn't make any sense. So anytime you're facing something in your life and uh, temptation comes along and you're actually tempted within that temptation to say that it came from God, just think about this. You have been purchased, dear Christian, by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Does it make any sense that he's going to pay that kind of price for you and then turn around and be the source of the temptation. So we often find ourselves in a mess, and you can look back at the story of Jonah. It's a perfect example. We're in the mess because we followed these steps that James lays out for us. And I'm going to read through those here in just a minute. But God didn't cause the problem, and that's the point. He didn't bring the temptation. He didn't provoke you to sin. And look at what James tells us. And we're going to read it here, starting in verse 14. He says, but each one is tempted when he is, and here it is, number one, drawn away by his own, number two, desires, and then number three, and enticed. Now, verse 15, then when desire has, number four, conceived, it gives birth to sin, number five. And sin, when it is full grown, number six, brings forth death, number seven. And I even mentioned you could think of LSD. Lust leads to sin, which leads to death. But remember, I gave you those seven points in the preview uh, during the last podcast. And here's where I got it from, right beginning at verse 14 and going into verse 15. so the one in sin is first drawn away by what does it say we're drawn but what are we drawn by we're drawn away by our own desires and desire is the same thing as lust in this context it's it can start small and it's very simply as i said before it's just wanting something that you can't have and I remember, you know, bringing up our children. Uh, we were blessed and we were very fortunate to homeschool our children. And one of the rules that we had uh, in our house and in our upbringing and when we were maybe the guest in somebody else's house or something like that, if it is not yours, do not touch it. What an amazing, simple rule. But the second that you say that, the minute that you are told that by an authority, what do you want to do? You want to go touch. You want to go explore. I wonder why it is that my mom and my dad said, if it's not yours, don't touch it. What are they holding out on me? Does any of this sound familiar to you? So there's that desire for something that doesn't belong to you. The scripture says you can't have it, but you say, I want it. So drawn away by our own desire for something. And then it says he is enticed. It's that look that's just a little too long, longer than it has to be. It's that hug just a little longer than necessary. It's a touch 
or a smile. You know, men, let me just ask you, what's on your computer? What do you do on your computer when nobody's looking? And it's not just about men. Ladies, um, you tend to emote differently than men do. But let me ask you something. What are you thinking about? Uh, to the whole family, I would say, mom and dad, what is important to you? What message are you sending to your children? When you say things like, well, we had to have that bigger house or we had to have that family vacation or we had to go on that cruise. We just had to do whatever. We had to spend money to the point that we put ourselves in debt. We couldn't go to church because after all, the kids are involved in sports and there's a tournament this weekend. And it just, it amazes me how we can so easily be enticed. And next thing you know, we have allowed strangers to raise our children at the public school. And we have dual income, mom and dad, so you can pursue the American dream. And my friends, just let me tell you this about the American dream. It's a lie. Listen, I'm an American. I loved my country, love my country, still love my country. I served my country. But one thing I can tell you is if you are pursuing the American dream, you are pursuing a lie. You don't need what this world offers you, especially at the price of your children and your family. And as I've already said, and I think this is a perfect analogy, this is a perfect place to, to insert it into the discussion. Think of fishing bait on a lure. It's a trap. And sometimes I just imagine that the enemy of our soul is out there just throwing out fishing bait, different kinds of lures. And you know, what works for a particular fish uh, doesn't always work on this other kind of fish over here. Why? Because they have different appetites. They have different desires. And so the enemy throws out a particular lure for this individual over here and it doesn't work but it might work on you and what works on you didn't work somewhere else and so our enemy offers you a variety of things to desire a variety of things that would distract you from the things that are wholesome and true and pure and holy a variety of things to distract you from your family and from involvement in your church, in your fellowship. There's so many other things you could do besides take the time to study the Bible, set time aside for daily Bible intake and devotion and meditation and leading your family. So when desire is fully conceived, according to what it says here, and uh, 
What we mean by conceived is that you've decided to turn aside from God's call on your life. When you have that idea in your mind and really to conceive something, you are planning it. It is premeditated. You know full well that you're going to do it. And when the opportunity comes, you seize that opportunity. You grasp it just like the fish hitting that lure, hitting that bait. And next thing you know, now you're, now you are committed. You are committing the act. You are in sin and sin is the result of turning away from God and going after that thing outside of his plan for you. You want to fulfill that desire. Now you've decided that no matter what, I'm going to go for it. And now you're hooked. And sin is always going to lead to death. Don't laugh at sin. Let me just encourage you, dear friends, Sin is a big deal. Do not think for one second that you have it under control. This is serious business I'm talking about here. Um, sin is to be smitten in your life, conquered. You are to run from it. And verse 16 tells us to what? Not be deceived. Make no mistake, friends. Make no mistake, I'm telling you this from my own experience, and I'm sure there are some of you listening, and you can testify to this as well. Your sin will find you out. It will find you out. Do Christians sin? Absolutely we sin. Absolutely we fall short. It doesn't mean our salvation is lost. But when we uh, come to the realization of what we have done is sin, um, we need to repent of it. We need to confess that thing before God. And true repentance is not just, I'm going to turn away until I do it the next time. No, repentance says, God, with your help, please help me. I never want to do this again. And I'll just ask you, as you're listening to this, What is your appetite? What do you desire? What is it that you want? And just be honest with yourself. What do you think about? What do you meditate on? What is the thing that drives you? That is where your heart is. That is where your treasure is. That is where your desire is. Be cautious, friends, and guard your heart. As we look at verse 17, we're going to press on here. Verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Every time I read that verse, I think about that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. For those of you who know that song, you know the verse where he says, There is no shadow of turning with thee. Think about it. This verse is is, uh, such an encouragement. It's such an encouragement. Because it's like saying, on the other hand, let's take a look at these instructions that God gives you. So 
first it's like, okay, here's these seven steps to sin, as I call it. And then, but the Lord has here in his, in his word for us, he says, now listen, I'm going to tell you, I've got a way out of this. So let's take a look at the instructions that God gives. God is the author of life and all things good. So don't cave in to thinking bad things come from God. Why do I say that? Well, right here in verse 17, it says that he is the father of lights. What does that mean? Simply means God is the creator of the stars and the universe. And we know that the pagan religions taught, and there's still people today that believe this, that the stars and the planets um, could predict the future, and they even worship the stars as gods. But see, our God is above all of that. He's above it all because he created it all. And he's above the other false gods and all the false teachings that the world may have to offer. So when it says here that there's no shadow of turning, that what does that mean? It means God doesn't fluctuate. And we've talked about this already before in a previous podcast, that God does not change in his holy character and in his attributes. What he said that he will do, he will complete it. In verse 18, he has given us life and extends grace to save us so that we can be like what? First fruits. The first fruits. Since we are made new in Jesus, we should give everything to God first. So just like that first crop of the fields was to be given to God by the Israelites, that's how we are to think of ourselves now. We are the first fruits that are to be given to God. And our question should always be, as a Christian, is, God, what do you want me to do first? Now, contrast this, verses 17 and 18, what we've talked about here already, and compare that to the previous verses where it was talking about uh, desire and how it's fully conceived and it leads to sin and sin always leads to death. And verse 19, um, and the way it is printed uh, in uh, my Bible, the Bible I'm using for this teaching for that we use here at the Forge, I use the New King James Version, the New King James Version, and uh, I've been teased about that, and um, I don't really care. <laughs> uh, I will give you this unasked for advice, dear listener. Pick yourself a version of the Bible and stick to it. Learn it. Memorize it. What you have is a translation um, of the original writings, as we know, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, that's where uh, the scriptures came from. So unless you can read Hebrew and Greek uh, fluently, you are going to be dependent upon a translation. Don't mean to chase a rabbit trail here too much. Um, for me, I was raised on the King James Version of the Bible. I learned all my scriptures in Victorian English, and um, as I uh, grew up, I kind of transitioned to the New King James, which still maintains some of the flavor, if you will, that I grew up on, uh, but yet modernizes 
uh, a lot of the TH endings and it straightens out some of the verb and subject agreement. Uh, that was the way it was written 400 years ago, but our language has changed uh, in the last 400 years. So anyway, didn't mean to chase that bunny trail, all that just to say in verse 19 in my Bible, the phrase is so then. The first two words there, so then my beloved brethren. So that phrase, so then, I've heard it explained like this. Uh, one way you could think of that is to say, hey, listen up. Or, hey, given all this other um, stuff that I've talked about from verses 17 through uh, 18, now here in verse 19, uh, given all these things here, then listen to this. So we are to pay attention here to what James is saying. And we need to listen to his instruction uh, right now. Um, it needs to be uh, taken uh, for what it is worth immediately. Uh, don't give yourself the opportunity to, as we used to say, do back talking. Uh, you're not allowed to say, yeah, but in my case, it's different because, you know, fill in the reason. Um, if we're reluctant to listen to what James is telling us here, we're going to be reluctant to grow. And it's an, it's an important concept because, as we're about to see, we need to be doers of the word. And I can't really do it if I'm not paying attention. Um, we don't want to be someone who just listens to the Bible, but we actually want to be doing what the Bible tells us to do. So when we talk continually, we cannot hear God. So we've got to restrain our speech. And that's something that I feel like I could learn uh, every minute of every day. Uh, restrain your speech and restrain your temper. Have you ever noticed how people can be stirred up by words? People can be made, made angry. And then out of that anger, they can be stirred to sinful actions all because it started with words. Um, anger incited through words or rhetoric uh, destroys relationships. Uh, it often creates problems and it doesn't offer a fix. Um, it can close our minds. It can close our hearts to what the Lord would say. Um, and, you know, we see that um, in our culture today. It seems as though a clear, sober, uh, understanding of issues, uh, current issues, clear debate, uh, terms for a, an argument. Um, and when I say argument, I don't mean fighting and yelling with one another, but I mean laying out in a reasonable fashion um, your, um, your reasoning behind uh, an action or uh, something that, and frankly, how this plays into our government and how we vote and those who uh, are in positions of power. It seems like in our government today that everything is filled with emotion. Everything is filled with anger, uh, rhetoric, really, that's just purposefully meant to stir up and divide. But what does it tell us here? The wrath of man will not produce the righteousness of God.
there are zealots in our culture today. And frankly, there are zealots on both the right and the left in our culture and our government today. And just let me uh, say this clearly. Um, A conservative who is ungodly is still ungodly. You need to consider that, my dear friends, because I know that a lot of Bible believers tend to be conservative politically. But we've been fooled and we've been lied to and we go for it so many times. But secularism is secularism, whether it's conservative or whether it's liberal. It's void of Jesus Christ. It's void of Jesus Christ. Many dear Christian uh, brothers and sisters who uh, were supporting our previous president and uh, came out in support of him, and they just ignored the things about him that were unscriptural, that did not line up with a Christian righteous life. So where am I going with this? Well, just like we have zealots today, there were zealots back at the time when James wrote this, and um, they wanted to overthrow the Roman government. Um, And they struck out against Rome, and maybe at some future podcast we'll talk about the fall of Jerusalem and everything that happened uh, around 70 A.D., Um, But the end result of their zeal um, was the destruction of Jerusalem. And these people probably thought that they were doing God's will. Um, In fact, um, we know from historical records that many of them did. But they were listening to false teachings and they had rejected their Messiah. And in reality, all they did was cause destruction. So if you find yourself um, as a Christian getting worked up over some uh, thing like a political point of view, um, I would encourage you um, to really ask the question, why are you so passionate? Why are you so worked up over this? Um, Secularism is secularism. There's conservative secularism and there is liberal secularism. Uh, But both points of view reject the clear teaching of God's word. You know, it's the Holy Spirit that changes the heart of people. And that is done, the word tells us, um, through the preaching of God's word. You know, how will the people hear? You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, right? The word of God. And how will they hear without a preacher? And it is amazing to me, the gospel goes forward and lives are changed because the Holy Spirit does his work. Could you imagine what would follow 
if our leaders, politicians, began to have their worldview shaped by God's wisdom through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Could you imagine what would happen to a world transformed by leaders who were conformed into the image of Jesus Christ? What a world that would be. So my friends, I'm not trying to tell you how to vote, vote one way or the other. That's not my job here. But I will say this. If you're putting your confidence in a governmental system, if you find yourself getting very, very angry over current events, listen, the word tells us here that the wrath of man will not produce the righteousness of God. That's what we want to see. So, again, I would encourage you to be zealous for the things of God. Be zealous for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not so zealous for a political candidate that you can't even hear the word of God when it is spoken. So that said, we're going to pause here. We will pick it up in the next podcast. We're going to finish James, James chapter 1, starting at verse uh, 21. And we'll take it through the end of the chapter. And as always, here at Forge, I hope this has been a blessing to you. I hope that you are encouraged by the words of life, which come not from me, but from Jesus Christ, our Lord. God bless you.